Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. For the last nine years of the church's existence, she's been down there serving the kids and so really, really appreciate her and all that she does. Come on. Let's give her another hand. Come on. You can do better than that. All right. So without further ado, let me just carry out the sweat. Let's welcome Pastor Joy. Oh, okay. You have your mic. Yay. Good morning, everybody. Is this especially high or I'm just short? All right. Cannot adjust. So good to be here this morning, and uh, finally I get to come at level 6 and enjoy the service and enjoy my own preaching at the same time. So how many of you know that um, uh, Pastor Andre and the staff, we are like into Star Wars? You know that? How many of you are into Star Wars? Right, welcome to the city. Uh, the rest of you, please catch up because uh, it's part of it. And so... My husband, actually, he's very into all this, like, personality tests and, you know, strengths finder, MBTI, uh, this, whatever, whatever. So then recently, we, you know, not, long, not too long ago, we found out that the MBTI, right, can actually tie to the Star Wars character. So can I have the slide, please? <laughs> right, okay, I can't really see that, right? You have all these Star Wars character. So then, of course, I'm very intrigued to find out what character my husband is, right? So I just make, make a guess, make a guess. Huh? Chewbacca? No, 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 no. You don't know my husband. Okay. My husband. Next slide. Next slide. He is Master and uh, Master Yoda, right? He's Yoda, okay? He's the architect, right? Really, really describe him. That's who he is. He likes to design things, plan things, and then he gets other people to, to do. Right? So that's architect. All right. So don't, 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 don't click first. So Pastor Andre, I'm also very interested to find out who he is. So Daniel was like, oh, I know, Andre. I said, what is it, what is it? He is Palpatine. All right, but next, next, next. Palpatine, right? So I said, Andre, you're Palpatine. And then he texted back and said, um, actually, right, I also think that I'm Master Yoda. He said, I toggle between the light and the dark. So this is what happened when you're in denial, right? You can't accept that you're in the dark, so you toggle, right? So, of course, then I'm very interested to find out what character I am, right? Because, so now I got Master Yoda and then I have... Um... <laughs> I wish I'm Chewbacca, but can you click next? I am Jaja Bings. So when I found out I was Jaja Bing, I was distraught. I couldn't eat for three days. I, I was like, how can I be Jaja Bings? Because after watching the Star Wars show, right? Then when I walk outside, this Jaja Bings useless character in Star Wars. I was like, why is he even inside there? And so when I found out that I'm Jaja Bings, I was like, I'm distraught, man. This useless character in the show. So, if you want to find out, which character you are, you can later go and go- don't Google now. Google later after my message. All right. Okay. So today I was asked to share a little bit about my uh, journey as a foster parent. So some of us here, you know that. Okay, actually, most of us know 
that our family is uh, into fostering. And uh, out of the foster care system, we actually adopted uh, two of our children. So we have a total of six kids, two uh, from adopted from the foster care system. And I just want to explain a little bit, uh, because some of you, for some of you, the, the word fostering or foster care is new, right? And um, can I have the next slide? Okay, um, there's a difference between fostering and adoption. If you can see, use your bionic eyes, all right? The difference between fostering is that for fostering, the end goal is to return the child who has a need or who has a need uh, to find a place to stay, uh, to return them back to their original family. But for adoption, uh, basically we get all the parental rights. The, the child remains in our home permanently. So that's the difference. And uh, our family is actually an approved fa uh, foster family by MSF, Ministry of Social and Family Development, who is now partnering with four appointed foster agencies to provide quality service and better meet the needs of foster children. So we have one of them here with us, uh, Edward Community Services. You can see the brochure on your chair. And uh, we are very happy for them to come later on to share with us what they are doing and what we can do as a community for uh, the foster children. So can you help me welcome um, Lee Kun, the manager of Expert and the team here. I heard uh, Timothy saying to them, I'm so sorry you have to work on a Sunday, but make, I'll make sure that it's worth your work, okay? We'll recruit more families later. So from young, I always have a heart for children. And uh, I remember when I was um, in my late teens, a missionary from YWAM came to church to share about uh, their work in China and... And he showed us videos of these orphanages in China that it was very bad condition whereby they actually have benches where they cut hole and they leave the kids naked and they tie them to the chair so that they don't have to change diapers. So through the hole, right, then, you know, whatever comes out, comes out on the floor, whatever. So it was a very poor condition. It was dirty. It was noisy. And basically, they have no plans for these children. And so the children are literally are left to die in the orphanage. And because of what they were sharing, they feel that no children are not, are not supposed to be left to die. They're supposed to have a future and they're supposed to fulfill their destiny. And so they opened up this um, orphanage in Nanning. It's called Mother's Love. And at that point, I set my heart to say, God, I want to do something to help these children. So I went and, um, to take care of the children in 1996. That was not too long ago. Uh, you want to show the photo? All right, that is me um, carrying a small baby, me with a lot of other baby. Daniel is saying that it's me. It's actually Titus with long hair. All right, so. Okay, so if you see this quadrant, um, lower right quadrant, right, you see it, this group of babies lying down. Uh, looks quite fun, right? Because... Um, they have so many babies, and in fact, in this orphanage, it's already very clean and it's very well managed, and it's, it has a lot of very dedicated workers. And so our job is to be there, to carry the baby, feed them, change them. Uh, that's what we do. And so when I came back to Singapore, my heart was set to have an orphanage, because that's what I do when I saw what happened. And uh, it was there for many years until I started to have my own bunnies. Okay, I have four bunnies. If you don't know what's bunnies, they are children. I have four children. And I realized that the best place for children to grow is not in an orphanage, okay, but it's in the comforts and the safety of our home. 
And as I went through my fostering journey, I just realized that this, is, this looks really good, right? But, you know, a lot of the babies, when we carried them, their heads, right, are... Uh, at the back of their head, they are usually bald and very little hair. And the reason is because they have been lying down for so long and their, hair, their head actually is a little bit flattened and the hair cannot grow. And because of this situation, it means that um, they, are, they are seldom carried, they are seldom hugged, they, are seldom being, uh, they can be crying in the court for hours and nobody will come and meet their needs because they are soy diapers or they are hungry because they are short-handed in, in the orphanage. And because of that, it really impacts you know, uh, their development. So institutionalized children, right? Um, uh, their brains are negatively impacted because there's a lack of uh, human interaction. There's a lack of uh, stimulation. You're lying down in the court, not much stimulation. So I can actually tell uh, whether you're a traumatized kid by touching your head. So you can touch your head and see whether it's flat. So if it's flat, that means you're seldom being carried. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're maybe emotionally not stable <laughs> because <laughs> lack of human interaction. <laughs> okay, if you have this round, round head, that means you're from young, you've been carried, you've been rocked, very good development. So I didn't know that, okay, I didn't know that. I didn't know that um, stimulation as a baby is very important for their brain development, okay, and, um, and, and that, that smile that you look at the baby, it connects them in their brain, the neurotransmitter, whatever words they use, you know, it starts to kick in and they can give you back a smile. But children in the institutional home, when they're lying flat all the time, no stimulation, they don't know how to smile back. So uh, two years ago, when I brought a team to Cambodia, we went to the slums and, and then we went to this place where they brought in the kids. It is amazing. Children at like three, four months, they can't lift their head up because they're so under-stimulated. So they can't lift their head up. And a baby that is like um, 12 months old, when you carry them, they just flop like this, you know, heavily. Lack of stimulation, lack of development. So that's how bad it is when you have babies growing up in the institutional home. And so with that, I, I always have this heart for to open an orphanage. But I just realized that, you know, children grow up best in families, in homes. And one day, uh, the, challenge, the life-changing moment came one day when I asked God, God, what can I do? you know, to change life. Because at that time, Daniel, my preacher, was go traveling around the world, different continents to preach, getting people safe. A bit like Reinhard Bonke. Eh? <laughs> but my hero is going around the world. And I asked myself, God, what can I do? I'm just me. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a committed uh, employee. But I feel like I needed to do something more. And the Lord just whispered into my spirit and said, Joy, you can love a child. And I say, yes, I can, because I have four bunnies, and I think that my bunnies are overfed. They have too many toys to play with, and I think I can share some of this with a child who may need it. And so, cut the whole story short, we went through the process of foster, uh, to be approved as foster parents, and the day came when I have to pick up my daughter from the hospital, my first foster uh, placement. And uh, I was at work, busy, Trying to tell myself, okay, because when you're pregnant, you have nine months to prepare. This is like short notice. Within one, two weeks, I have to go and pick up the baby. And I said, okay, I must prepare spirit, mind, soul, and body. Then I was working that day. I was so busy with all these meetings, no time to prepare. And so I went to the hospital to pick up the baby with Daniel. And I still remember standing there at, uh, at the place, looking over at the mother, 
the biological mother carrying my foster daughter. I was so shocked. Then it flashed back because when I was working, they asked me, Joe, are you okay for the biological mother to come and give the baby, uh, to be there when you pick up the baby? I, I never had a second thought about it. I said, yeah, 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 let her come. She has every right to come, you know. And so we were standing there looking at her, rocking the baby. I was shocked because she, she looked very young. And I know that behind that, behind her, there is a very painful story. And so I look at the officer. Officer say, say yeah, Joy, you go and take the baby from the mom. I say, no, no. You go and pick the baby, then pass the baby to me. <laughs> and then she goes like, no, 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 no. You go and do it. I say, no, not going to do it. It's too cruel. You, you, you go. And so Daniel said, don't know what to do. Okay, <laughs> And then eventually, I just gave in. I said, okay, somebody has to go and pick the baby, right? So I, so I went forward. I went to the mom. And, and then she was surrounded by these nurses who has been her pillar of support for the last one month. Okay, and uh, so when I got the call, they told me that the baby has been in the hospital for a month and they couldn't find a family to take her. And so when they asked me, am I willing? I must be honest, I was a bit reluctant because my daughter, Megan, uh, my number four, she was... Turning three, and I'm coming out of this cycle of sleeplessness, okay? Some of y'all don't understand, right? I just like, finally can sleep through the night, and then now I have a new baby. And the baby was like two months old. So from one month old, she has been in the hospital for a month, okay? No one can't find a family to take her. So I said, okay, I can't say no to a baby waiting for a family. So we said, okay, we'll be the family that she needs. So now I'm there looking at her and the mom, and we were like, <gasps> okay, so I reached out my hand and told the mom. Uh, so the nurses like nudged her, they released the baby to me. So I, as I took the baby from her, she started to scream and wail in agony. And my heart just broke open, and I, like, I felt so bad. And I just put my hand around her and said, hey, it's okay, it's okay, don't cry, baby's going to be fine. She just screamed and wail. I was like, oh no, what have I done? And so we were like shocked. I don't know what to do. Then at that moment, the officer came. He said, Joy, you got to go now. I said, I go now? But his mother, this child screaming. I said, yeah, yeah, go now, 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 go. I go now? No, no, no. She said, no, Joy, you have to go now. So then I took the baby and then I just ran off with Daniel. With whatever things that they asked us to ran off. And so I went back home that day. It was, um, I don't know how to describe it, but Something just happened right, right inside me. I felt like I kind of like contributed to the pain that the mother was feeling. But I also felt this responsibility that I have to do something about it. And so this is also one of the reasons why we want to do fostering. Because we hold that beacon of hope and love for this family who are hurting. Okay, the pain, I don't know how to say it. It took me a while to... Uh, to process it, but God really did something amazing in my heart. And one of the things that I learned right in my fostering journey is that helping reveals who we truly are. Okay, sometimes people have this like inflated idea of foster parents. Like, wow, you guys are amazing, you know. You are so, uh, you're like superheroes, so selfless, full of love, so magnanimous, so generous, so incredible people. I feel like, yeah, I also want to be that. I don't want to actually I want to buy a cape and wear it today. I'm a superhero, okay? But I, but I hate to burst this bubble because in reality, we are really not. We're just ordinary people trying to do something. 
And the first thing I realized when I brought my daughter home is this incapability to love her okay, as, uh, as my own child. I know that mother's love is very great, uh, very sacrificial, unconditional. Okay, until you have your own kid, you'll know. Okay, then you realize that your love is quite limited. And I realized that my love for this child is so limited. And I say, God, I really need you to help me love on this child because I just can't love her with my own love. And God just pour out his love in me and say, Joy, I will pour my love in you to love this child. And it's an amazing feeling because I realize that I really can't. But with him, I can. When he pours his love in me, I realize that I can love more. He stretched my heart to love more. And, the, and you know, every child that came through the foster care system suffered trauma in some ways. And the trauma they experience negatively impact their brains, right? Like I told you, you know, their brain is wired to fight, flight, or freeze. Okay, so they don't know how to behave. They don't know how to socialize. They have difficulty learning. And so many times when, you know, when I, when I got names that, hey, you know, we have this seven-year-old boy who needs foster care. And their names, right, is always a, attached with an acronym. Okay, let's see whether you guys know. Okay, the acronym goes like, oh, this boy, the ADHD, has ADHD, has, uh, has PTSD, has GDD, RAD, ASD. No, no, right? Why so many D1? Okay. There's all some sorts of disorder, and every time a name has an acronym attached to it, the chances of this child being fostered out is very, very low. Okay. And usually there are multiple acronyms attached to it. So when you have multiple acronyms attached to a child's name, I think they couldn't know. Very hard to find foster family. Nobody dares to touch them. ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, GDD, global developmental delay, RAD, reactive attachment delay, ASD, autism spectrum disorder. You have a multiple of this? Chances are very hard. And so one of our, we had one of our, our older foster kids that came into our home and life went haywire. Like I was trying to hold everything together. But I found myself... Losing patience and um, losing my fuels, I snapped at the little things that my kids were doing. And I started to judge this child and the family. I find myself staying up at night trying to figure out how can I correct her behavior. Huh? Because usually when they come in, they have weird behavior because they just don't know how to behave, right? So they will talk loudly, they will shout, and uh, they will... They do strange things. You know. Sometimes uh, younger kids, they will bait wet because they, they have like regressive behavior. And so I was like, oh God, you know, I, I need to change all this in a day. And I find myself like losing so much patience. I'm so judging. And I look and the inside of me, I was like, I'm such a bad person. Why should I be fostering? And what makes it worse was that at the end of the day, I look inside myself I cannot find one ounce of love left to care or to take care of these children. Like, oh Lord, I'm just a hypocrite. I shouldn't be fostering. And I just scream on the inside of me and say, God, can you please remind me once again, why am I fostering? Why am I bringing in all these children? And he told me, he said, Joy, you're more than who you think you are. You can love through your flaws. You can love through your weaknesses. 
You can love through your selfishness. You can love through your deficiency. And you can love through your not enough. And we, we foster not because of who we are, how big we are. We love because of who he is, how big he is. When we learn to lean on who he is, then we start to ch- see changes in the children. You know, we, those who can't connect, you know, some of them can't even look you eyeball to eyeball, right? They look away. They just don't know how to connect. And you see them looking at you, there's connection. They start smiling at you when you walk into the room. Connection, starting to change. They start holding your hand when they're afraid. That's very good, attachment. You, know? you see small changes, and it's not because of who we are, but it is because of Him. He gave us the power to love. And that love is transformational for these children. It can heal their lives. That's amazing. We help not because of who we are, because of who He is. In the right family environment, these children whose brain right, is so impaired, so undeveloped, will begin to heal. Isn't that amazing? God made our brain to heal in the right environment. So it's okay if you, are, you think you're mentally unsound or you, know, you think that something is wrong with you. Over time, in the right family environment, you begin to heal. That's how God wired us okay, for relationship. We can heal in the right environment. And number two, I realized you know, in helping all these children, fostering is painful. It looks like, wow, so great. Wow, these children all smiling. Just like whenever we take our family photo and we post, like, wow, all smiling. You don't know what goes behind it, okay? You don't know the kind of screaming and shouting and the threat. We're like, stand here, smile. <laughs> and then finally, <laughs> finally we have this happy shot. Then everybody thinks, wow, taking family photo is so, such an ha- enjoyable thing to do. No, trust me, okay? Sometimes we almost go in a feast fight. Like we bright and like, stand here and smile. And you, when you have a little kid like Jet, I tell you, it takes a long time, okay? So we think that fostering is you know, a happy thing. But it's not. It's painful. You know why? Because we get to see and we get to hear and we get to feel the pain of these children and their family when they enter the system. It's a messy thing when you hear what they have gone through. It's painful to hear how these children come into care. The family, you know, what they experience at home, the verbal abuse, the sexual abuse, the neglect, the violence. You just cringe, like, how can that even happen to these children? It's painful when you have a child crying in your home and every night cry himself to sleep, asking, when can I go home? And some of these children come into care very sudden. It's like they go to school one day. I heard about this uh, sibling. Go to school one day. The next day after school, there's policemen and social worker waiting at the office for them and say, hey, boys, you can't go home. Why? Because they just raided their home for drugs and then the home is sealed. They can't go home. All of a sudden, in the morning, go to school, suddenly, I just can't go home. And, in, and they can't even go home to take their belongings with them. And then they are just placed into a family and say, hey, you know, welcome to my home. You should appreciate what I do for you because otherwise you'll be homeless. But think about these children, how painful it is to suddenly lose everything and to come to a foster home and feel like, hey, I belong here. No way. It is so painful to hear them cry in the middle of the night asking, why can't I go home? I want my daddy. I want my mommy. Even though you think that their parents are devil. But you know what? In their hearts, they still want their parents. 
And it's painful because when you love on a kid, you give all that you have. They have no emotional capacity to respond to you. And sometimes they just scream at you and say, I hate you. I don't like you. I don't like this family. It's painful. Fostering is painful. It doesn't look like mm, superhero. No, it's painful. And for me, one of the greatest battles in fostering is grief. The imminent grief that the child you love with all your heart one day has to go home. I fought this hard when I took my first foster child. When, I went, when she went home, I went on this emotional roller coaster like for months. I just, I don't know how to love her so much and to let her go at the end. I felt like I wanted to control the outcome of the fostering, but I just can't. I have absolutely no control. And I say, God, I, I, I just can't live with this. How can I love so much? And then one day I have to let go. I say, I don't think I can do that. But I hate I hated myself going through this roller coaster. I asked myself, why can't I just love with all my heart and still let it go? And one day, in my, I remember in the office, I was like, Lord, I have enough. I had enough of this roller coaster. I said, God, you know, you know what? I will just learn to love with no regrets. And the Lord whispered to me, say, so do I. And I began to weep at my office table. I was beginning to cry because I suddenly have this glimpse into his love so deep. The Bible says that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the risk he took for you and I. We may not even reciprocate that love, that sacrifice that he made. Same for these children. They may not return back that love. For all the love you are giving to him, it won't return back. But that's the risk he took for us. And I ask myself, Joy, are you willing to take that risk and to love, to love, to love? even though it hurts. And sometimes we, we want these children to respond to us, right? Like, hey, you know, I do this for you, say thank you to me. Respond to me, eh? say I love you. Eh? But you know what? We are not in this that to soothe our conscience and try to feel good because you're looking at the wrong place. They can't give it to you. They don't have the emo- emotional capacity yet to respond. But over time, they will. But if you enter it to feel good, boy, not the right thing to do. I just want to share a little bit on uh, from my, one of my journals when we had to return one of our children. You know, we took this uh, baby was one and a half months old and then we had to return her when she turns two, when she was about turning two. And uh, the journey that I, I wrote, I say, returning our foster child is something I always mentally prepared myself from the start of our fostering journey. So, last December, we have the joy and privilege to celebrate our second foster daughter's success in transi- transitioning home on 26 December. She came to us when she was one and a half months and was with us for almost two years. The grief and the pain of her living did not hit me until I watched this cartoon called A Good Dinosaur. I don't know whether you guys have seen it. I watched it on my husband's birthday and the Lord spoke to me through movies. Do you know that God can speak through movies? Spoke to me so many times, even Hunger Games. You know. So, Star Wars, except for Jaja Bing, not quite there yet. Right? So I was there and I was like, God spoke to me and said, Joy, you must be like that good dinosaur. You need to draw that circle for him, for your child. 
whose family that she belongs to. And then I realized that she doesn't belong to my family because she has a family to go back to. And that's the end goal of fostering. She belongs to her family. And I drew that circle for her. I was thankful that I was able to go on a week-long retreat before returning my foster child for good. Being away from the hustle and bustle of this city life, I was able to find time and space to process my grief and pain with the Lord. The pain hit me harder than I thought. I could hardly breathe at times. I was sobbing most of the time. I wanted to minimize the pain by requesting to see my foster child on special occasion. But yet deep in my heart, I know the Lord wants me to cut the umbilical cord and surrender the rights to do so. Basically to love with no string attached. It was an emotional struggle. With much tears, I surrendered to the Lord and made that painful decision in my heart never to request to see my foster child again. 26th December is the time we will get to see her. We took her home from where she was for lunch. Uh, my heart ached. At the same time, was comforted to see her excited being back in our home. And then we went out to buy her Christmas present. My mom and my helpers said their final goodbyes to her. And my heart was shattered to find my 76-year-old mother crying quietly in the bedroom just as we were making our way out of the house. My mom, she loved my foster daughter like her own grandchild. I felt so sorry to put my 70-year-old mother through this pain. So after the Christmas shopping, we, she was like throwing a bit of tantrum. So my son was like, let's take her home now, like bring her home. So we took her in the car, drove back. And uh, as we pulled into the driveway of the home, we saw the mother waiting anxiously for us. As the car door opened, my daughter Megan burst into tears because she knew the inevitable goodbye had come. I calmly handed over my foster daughter to her mother and passed her all the presents we bought for her. Taking a deep breath, I waved my final goodbye to them, hopped into the car and drove away. Our entire family was quiet. We grieved together the whole journey home. What an irony as I reflected the day. The first time I fostered, I had to take my foster baby from her mother's arm. She shrilled in pain at the loss of her daughter as she released her baby to me. The clear anguish in that scream pierced my heart. On 26 December 2015, I willingly suffered the same agony and handed my second foster daughter back to her natural mom. The only thing I did is I didn't scream out, but I did on the inside of me. I know I cannot shun this pain that will make me ready for my next assignment. After experiencing the pain of returning my foster daughter just a month earlier, feeling victorious and know that, hey, you know, I can do this again, I was wrong. Because on 30th January, we received our new assignment. Finally, a baby boy. And that's when Jet came. So my son was so excited. For the first time, he has a brother. Finally. So we went out to KKH together. And when we first saw him, he instantly stole my heart. Such a lovely and handsome boy. For those of you who know when he was a baby, you saw him. Ang Mo hair and brown. Everybody thought he's Ang Mo. I was also very happy he was Ang Mo. <laughs> Everyone was drawn to him. He was so easy to take care of. What a joy. But little did I realize that he was on social visit pass. Like, huh? Social visit pass, what does that mean? That means he can only be in Singapore for three months and then he has to exit the country for a while. So I'm like... And then when I found out what's going to happen to him, 
I just felt so burdened. I cried. I said, God, he, when he was three months old, they returned from Johor uh, custom. They said, Joy, he only had four days in Singapore. You got to repatriate him back to his home country. I'm like, no way. Where do I send him to? And I know there's a, this, this family came around me, prayed with me. We cried. I cried and cried. I kept saying, God, you can't do this to this little boy. You have to do something. You can't let this boy go back to a homeland with nobody taking care of him. I said, God, you have to do something. And the pain was so intense that I could barely handle it. So I felt very sick. I felt sick. And I said, God, I, I, I don't know why you asked me to do this. I just find it super unbearable. And then he reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13. He told me, Joy, you feel so much pain because you love fiercely. You're overwhelmed with grief because you care deeply. And all these emotions that I have, it's not because of me, but it's because of him. He taught me how to love fiercely. He taught me how to care deeply. And I know that the day I stopped feeling pain and grief in this fostering journey is that my love has grown cold and my passion and fire have died. Fostering without feeling the pain only shows one thing, I have not love and it profits me nothing. And that's love. That's fostering. When you love, it hurts. And so now I embrace pain with joy in my stride. Every moment I feel the pain and the grief of separation, it tells me that I'm loving fiercely and I care deeply. I'm becoming like Jesus. Right? Isn't it the slogan of the city church? <laughs> Passion statement. <laughs> First Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope. And love, these three, but the greatest of this is love. And I love with no regrets, even when it hurts. Helping hurts, fostering hurts. When we are hurt and in pain, we go to the one who heals us through and through, over and over again, and we step out and say, I want to love again. When we are hurting, we bring the hurting children to the Lord, the one who can heal them from the inside out. Because his love transforms and his love can heal. And finally, fostering means trust. In foster care, we work with broken children, broken families, and a not so perfect system. And if we are not careful, right, we will fall into this trap of becoming a skeptic and a critic because everything is not working well. And you will question yourself if all that you're doing is even worth it. And my, so many times I ask myself, God, is it even worth it helping these children? And the answer is, yes, it's worth it. It's worth it all. So many times the children come into care and they put up the worst behavior to challenge us because they have been so abandoned. They have no more self-worth. They have no security. They don't know who they are. And they put on the worst behavior to challenge you. Will you still love me even when I can't behave? Will you still invest in me when I can't give back? Will you say that you will love me through when I can't say thank you back to you? Will you? That's the challenge. Will you? And we have to trust. We have to trust because he, of his faithfulness. He can bring changes that we can't. 
We, I learned to trust in His goodness, His faithfulness, His judgment. I learned to obey even when things like going on, nothing was going right. We learned to trust that He is a good Father. He's the one that will tear down the wall. He's going to want to climb the mountain to reach us. He is a good Father. He is a righteous judge. When sometimes you feel like judgment on this, some of this family or the parents is not harsh enough, but we must trust Him. He is the righteous judge. And He is a forgiving Savior. And that's what we must learn to trust. And I have to learn. Because after giving all, right, and my not enough, I have to live with it. I was just telling uh, Pastor Andre the other day that in this children ministry that I'm leading, right, and I'm trying to patch hole on the schedule, like not enough teachers, so I put myself on schedule every other week. And it's coming to a point where I just can't patch any more holes. Like I patch myself in this schedule and then there's another hole there. And I realized that it's leaking. Jaja Bing is not working well. Jaja Bing gives it all, but it's leaking everywhere, right? And I go, I look at the schedules like, oh my goodness, I need help. And we live in a five-room HDB flat, four bedrooms, okay? But we have two parents, uh, two of us, uh, six children, two house help. If you can add, there are 10 of us in the house at any one time. And every time I get a call from MSF that they need help, there's an urgent placement, I will tell myself, there's still room in this home. Okay, not long term. I say, I can manage, I can manage. There's still room in this home. And then I will go like, Joy, there's no more room. Like, no more room, eh? And you know, because when even using our common toilet, right, if you're not careful, it will spiral down to some domestic violence because they're like, you can see my, hear my children banging on the door. Come out now! You've been inside there for 15 minutes. You come out now. And it's crazy when we go out as a family when we reach home, right? They literally push us, push us away and rush to the toilet door. Or in the car, right, they will just start to discuss. Hey, later when I reach home, I get to use the toilet first. Uh. I'm very urgent. Then the other side, I also very urgent. Then the third person, I am more urgent than you. Then I don't know how. Somebody has to that's like So then I say, not enough toilet, cannot have any more children. I say. But I still say to myself, I think I can. Uh, I try. I can. I try. I try. I try. And uh, I still remember when one of my foster child went back, right? Uh, I told them, okay, I give you back your man cave. Okay, I renovated the room. See, now you can have your man cave back. And uh, they didn't know the more kids I, I bring in, his man cave then reduced to manhole, right? <laughs> and then in that manhole, he still have to share that space with me. I'm like, I'm also coming inside your manhole. Because <laughs> the children are everywhere inside our room. They're spilling everywhere. <laughs> and then, so one day MSF called me and said, uh, we have a baby in need of a home. Do you want to take her in? I said, I try. Yes, I will. So the baby came. I tried to settle the baby. And then in the, in the same morning, my one of my daughters woke up with chicken pox. Broke out in chicken box. I was like, of all days, today must be the day you have chicken box. And so I went to the doctor. I said, doctor, I have a small baby at my house, a foster baby. Can, can I keep her? She said, no, Joy, you need to immediately find another family and place her out. Thank God we managed to find a family within two hours. I said, I'm so sorry. I called my uh, child protection officer. I said, I'm so, so, so sorry. You have to take the baby away. Then another time it happened. They say, Joy, can you take, take in a, a toddler for two weeks? Two weeks. I tell myself, 
our family can stay in a, in a man cave for two weeks. We can do it. So I said, yes, I'll take the baby in. And then I waited and I waited and I waited for the whole day for the child to come. And I called the CPO. I said, what happened? How come the baby didn't come? He said, oh, something happened. Uh, situation at home changed. Oh, we don't, need, I, we don't need your help anymore. Thank you very much. I said, okay, all right. Never mind, try again. And one day, one of my friends called and said, Hey, Joy, can you take a seven-year-old boy just for two days? Because the mother has to deliver a baby in the hospital. Can't take care of him. So I say, two days. Uh, I look at, I asked Titus first, because maybe my share room with him. So, son, can, 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 you, can you share a room? And of course, he willingly said, Yeah, can I, can I, bring him in. Uh. But my husband said, Sure not. That thing, we can do it. Uh. It's only two days. We can, somebody can sleep on the floor for two days. And I say, yes, I will help. And then my friend called and said, hey, you know what, Joy? Don't need ready. Well, we managed to resolve the situation. So I thought to myself, maybe God is trying to teach me something. Maybe the prayer of my husband wanting his man cave back is stronger <laughs> than my desire to have more kids. <laughs> it's coming out of the man hole. So I say, but I really, really want to help. And then the God just spoke to me and said, Joy, are you willing to lean on me? Live on your not enough, my not enough space. I'm still praying. I say, God, you say in your house there are many mansions. I'm not greedy. I just need one. Can I have one mansion? I'm still waiting. Okay, I'm just still waiting. And I, I realized that my house is really too small to take in any more children. It will cost me and my family and the child that we want to take care of more harm than help. It's lack of space. And sometimes when we really want to help, it hurts. And it hurts me to know that I, I, at this point, I can't until my heavenly mansion comes. Right? So I just need to trust. I need to trust God. I need to trust that He has better families who can take care of these children. I need to trust that He's not done with me yet. I must trust Him to work in all sectors of the system to provide better care for these children. I must trust. And this Jaja Bings, right, who gives to his own give to her own herd, has to go. Jaja Bing cannot patch any more hole. He's leaking everywhere. Jaja Bing needs help. Jaja Bing needs a team. An all-star team. A Star Wars team, right? Maybe I need a Palpatine. No, no. So I was thinking, maybe I need a mastermind, I need a Darth Vader, I need Padma, I need... What's the one again? Two buns on? Earlier, yeah. Yeah, two buns. Seriously, I was thinking, I don't mind being the princess with the two buns than to be a Jaja Bings, but sorry, just can't. So, <coughs> to end, I have to end. I just want to share this quote by uh, Brian Stevenson. He said, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice and the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated and the condemned. James 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion or church before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted 
from the world. This is my life statement. Not life statement, I true believe. Psalm 68, verse 5. Can you have the verse? Um, the, fa- the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. And I often think about it. If God is the God of the fatherless, he is the father to the fatherless, then sh- shouldn't a Christian orphanage be an oxymoron? There's no often in his kingdom. There shouldn't be. And how does he do that? Verse 6. God sets the lonely, the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound in prosperity, into prosperity. God set the lonely, the orphans in family. It was never his design for children to be in institutional home or people in shelters or living off the street. His design is family. That's his design. Can you show the photo of my kids? Uh, that's Katie when she was little, growing up in a family. Next one, okay, it's blurry. There's nothing wrong with your eyesight. This for confidentiality. <laughs> okay, this is a baby that we brought home that I found it very hard to take care of. But our whole family, my mom, okay, you can see the 76 years old poor grandmother has to help out. And my boy, Titus, and Mary Beth, they all help out. Because this baby needs a family. And the next one, my sweetheart. So cute. He needs a family, and we are the family for him. Okay, next. All right, next. I want to share this thing. If the greatest expression of the father's love is his son, then the greatest expression of his love is families. If the greatest expression of the father's love is his son, then the greatest expression of his love in church is families. Can I have my happy family photo? Next. It's families. Church, we are the family that the orphan needs. We are the family that the widow needs. So today, maybe you can help this useless Jaja Bing, right? Stop her leaks in her life. Fulfill her little, little dream. To find a home for every child. Because every child, good or bad, deserves a loving home.